Good morning. Welcome to Mission View. My name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here at Mission View Church, and I am so glad you're here with us today. I am, uh, I don't know about you guys, but uh, food coma the last like three weeks here, you know, Thanksgiving all the way through Christmas, all the amazing food and, and Christmas goodies. I, I have seen more Christmas cookies this year than I've seen probably in the five years combined past. But um, uh, we get them in the church office, and then, of course, at home with my wife baking, and then all the parties and different things, and uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun. So hopefully you've enjoyed uh, seeing family, friends, and enjoyed this Christmas season. Well, we're getting ready to start a new year, and um, I don't know if you got it or not, but there's an article about New Year's resolutions um, that we're sending out. It was pretty interesting to actually think through that. I had some time to think through that. And, and the idea behind New Year's resolutions and the different things going on, I encourage you to check that out in your email as we send that out through the email. But um, we're going to be starting a new sermon series next week called When Mission Gets Messy. And we're going to be looking uh, in the book of Jonah um, where this guy gets told by the Lord to go to this people that he doesn't like at all. And um, Jonah decides that he's not going to obey God and run from him. You're probably familiar with this story. He gets swallowed by a big fish and spit out and all this other stuff. He ends up going to Nineveh, to the Ninevites, which he hated them, despised them, you know, so much so that he's willing to dis disobey God, you know, and not do it. But anyways, we're going to be looking at that. And, and um, I think it's going to be a fun series that we're going to spend some time in. In preparation for that series, I thought it'd be really cool for us to look at the story of the Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan. And it's kind of, I think today we can take some time to look at this and it's going to be, it's going to give us a good starting point, a launching point to go into the book of Jonah and looking at when mission gets messy. Here's what I know. Here's what I know is a lot of times the thing that things that God calls us to do don't end up looking like we think they should look. Has anybody ever experienced that in their life? You, you have a pretty, yeah, we, we have a pretty clear direction, pretty clear understanding of, of kind of what God has for you. So, so you go after it and you go do it. And then when it's all said and done, you, you look back at it and you're going, that is not at all what I thought this was going to turn out like. It, it, in fact, you know, it, it looks like a Picasso. It doesn't look like, you know, one of the, the other paintings. It's a little different. It's a little messier and, and, and you know, it just, it just looks so different. But anyways, when mission gets messy, and this is a messy story for sure, the Good Samaritan. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 10. That's where we'll find our story today, and we'll be in verses 25 through 37. Man, we had an amazing Christmas. I can't get over it. We had 350 people here for our Christmas Eve service in this room. And then the weekend before that, we had 350 people here as well for the children's services. It was just an amazing time. I don't know about you guys, but man, when the choir, the, like the, they revealed the choir behind the curtains and everything, I got like goosebumps, man. It was, they just came in really powerful. If you missed our Christmas Eve service, definitely check it out online when we get it posted. It was powerful, man. Kudos to Jesse and the team for all the work they put in on that. Just awesome stuff. Let's pray before we read God's word today. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And right now as we take this time to, to look into it, God, I pray that you would give me the words to share. We surrender to your will. We surrender to your purpose right now, God. 
We say, change us, grow us, and, and we, we admit we need to be changed by your glory, by your power. So we submit to your authority, God. And we say, have your way in us. Use me this morning for your glory, God, your kingdom, in Jesus' name. Amen. And verse 25 starts out like this, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, that's an important phrase there, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. The story of the Good Samaritan. We have this guy that falls to robbers. He's on this road, and, and Jesus tells this story of these, these guys who are kind of powerful, you know, good people, you would think. You know, a priest and a Levite. And these were guys who were like way up in spirituality. They were like the, the spiritual heroes of the time. Surely these guys would have compassion on this poor guy that was just on his way, you know. But we have to, we have to kind of realize that, that a Samaritan in these times was the lowest of the low. I mean, the Jewish people couldn't even come in contact with a Samaritan and touch them. They would be then considered unclean. I mean, it was, it was kind of a nasty thing, you know? So there's, there's a lot of things going on in this story. And, and I'm guessing that most of us are probably a little familiar with this story. And we could, we could dive into all those details. But I want to take a look at, at five different people in this story. Five, five different experiences as we're reading through that and what we see and kind of what we can gain from these five different people. Now, the first person I want to point out in the story is this one. Where am I at? Here are my notes. Here we are. First one is this, the lawyer. The lawyer. We see right from the beginning the problems with this guy. He's asking a question of Jesus, but with no sincerity at all, Right? No sincerity at all. He is trying to get Jesus to say something that would discredit him. He is, what did it say, putting him to the test. He's trying to trick Jesus. He's coming to God with his own agenda. And that, that is the first mistake this lawyer makes. But I was thinking about this, and as he's going through this and asking the question, I read that and I think, oh my gosh, that is so silly, right? Right? 
How, how can you put God to the test? I mean, how, what are you going to do? What are you trying to prove, right? But then I, then I think, think, start thinking about it even more. And I, and I thought about, about my life. Have you, ever, have you ever been through something or experienced something? I remember when I was a kid. And one of the biggest toys for Christmas when I was, I was probably around 10 to 13 years old, was Optimus Prime, the Transformer. I mean, that was like the big gift. And it, he was this semi-truck, and there was two parts of him. There was the trailer part and the truck part, and he would come apart, and the trailer part would be this, like, really cool base, and the, the um, truck part would turn into this massive transformer that was awesome. And I was like, I wanted that so bad. I remember I was praying one night, and I was like, God, if you just give me Optimus Prime for Christmas, I will do whatever you want me to do. I will clean my room like my mom says. I will do this. And I was coming to God with my own agenda, right? Have we ever done that? Have you ever thought about that? Well, Lord, if you just, if you just do this, just do this one thing, Lord, I'll go to church every Sunday for the rest of my life. I promise. Lord, if you just give me this. It never works out well if we come to God with our own agenda. There's a, there's a biblical truth, a right way of viewing God that is, is this, that God is sovereign. And it's a simple word, right? Sovereign, this idea. But there's so much around it. That, that, that belief, this idea this theology of God being sovereign means so much. That, that God's actually in control and active in our lives and in the things that happen in our world. And, and that God's not up there just rolling dice with your life. That, that he actually has a plan. That, and we know that, that the Bible says that long before God created the world, he chose you. He knew your name, and, and he had things set aside for you to do. There was, there's nothing that happens in our lives that, that God is, is looking down and watching happen and just goes, oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened. Oh no, what do I do? What do I do with Matt now, right? No, this, this idea this theology of God's sovereignty means that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, that his hands are active. He's not just rolling the die with our lives. God is sovereign. So, how do we come to a sovereign God with our own agenda? Here's something that has to change. Something that we have to kind of have a shift in our paradigm is, is that it's not my agenda, that we come to God and we pray like Jesus taught us to pray. He says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. God, that you would have your way in me. It's not, it's not my plans. It's not... What I, and my intentions and, and my future and, and what I'm going to make happen. God, I am surrendering my will to your will and trusting in you. God, that you would work in me. You know, I was reading this and 
and trying to give this lawyer the benefit of the doubt after Jesus answers his first question so well. But God, through Luke, clarifies for us this guy's motives are still off. But instead of trying to trick Jesus because he found out that that was futile through Jesus' answer, he goes on to self-preservation. He's trying to justify himself is what it says. Justify himself for eternal life. This, this guy is a total train wreck. He just went from bad to worse. I mean, you think about it. He's trying to trick Jesus. Oh, I can't trick Jesus, so I'm just going to try and save myself out of this conversation. This guy, it was a train wreck from the very beginning, and it just gets worse as he goes downhill. I read this, and I start to feel sorry for this guy. Here, what a great opportunity. The King of Kings, Lord of Lords, is there face to face. You could ask him anything you want, and he tries to trick him. He tries to bring his own agenda. Then he tries to justify himself. Don't get me wrong, this lawyer, by all worldly standards of his time, and our time for that matter, was an outstanding citizen. He had spent his entire life studying the law of Moses, memorizing it. He, he probably taught others about it. His life was devoted to the Torah or the law. He was probably the top of his class in school, looked up to by everyone. He probably attended church almost every Sunday. He might even have helped out a friend who was in need from time to time. I'm sure he tithed. He probably gave more even on top of his tithe. If anyone could ask this question and get the right answer that he was hoping for, it would have been this guy, right? This lawyer who devoted his life to godly things, that, that spent every waking hour studying the law and, and being righteous in the eyes of the world, right? His, his life would have been a reflection of everything that we think or looked and, and thought was ideal for a Christian life. I mean, this guy should have gotten the right answer. He could, is justified, right? I mean, his life, his good deeds would have justified him, right? Wrong. He could have been done everything, everything right in the eyes of the world, and there was no justifying this man. Our, our good deeds, all the things, we can attend church every week. We can give our tithe and give more on top of our tithe. We can go on missions trips. We can do all of, all of these things do not justify us in the eyes of God. There is only one thing. He's trying to justify himself. There's only one thing that justifies us in the eyes of God. And that is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and our faith in Christ. By grace, through faith, we've been saved. There's no justifying. The only justifying we have is in Christ. God doesn't need our church attendance or our money or our good deeds. He's not up in heaven making a list and putting little stars by our names for every good work we do so we can feel a little bit better about ourselves and earn our way in heaven. It's not what you do. It's who you know. That's what this lawyer missed. He was looking at his life's, you know, he came with his own agenda. He knew what answer he was looking for, looking for that pat on the back when he's trying to justify himself before Christ. 
We can't earn our way into heaven. If we think we can earn our way into heaven through our bank account or through our church attendance or through our good deeds, we just don't get it. And just like this lawyer doesn't get it. It's not what we do. It's who we know. And the more we know him, Christ that is, the more we will do for him. You see, good deeds and measuring all these things up is religion. But coming to Christ, recognizing what he's done for you and me, the sacrifice that he's made, leaving heaven, living that perfect life that you and I can't live, and then dying the sinner's death that you and I deserve, recognizing that truth that motivates, motivates us and compels us to do good things is what moves us. That is the gospel. That is relationship. So if you want your life to be cleaned up, if there's things in your life that you're struggling with, things that have kind of been nagging at you and holding you back and pulling you down, you don't need more rules to follow. You need to draw closer to the Lord. You, need, you don't need more religion. You need more relationship, more revelation of who God is and what he's done and how active he is in your life. I love what Josh was saying as he was doing our prayer time, the goodness of God. Do we recognize the active goodness of God in our lives? When we're, when we're actually looking back at 2019 and we see the things that have, that have happened over this year, is it, is it focusing on the negative things or the struggling things? Or do we actually recognize the grace, mercy, and gifts, the good gifts that God has given us in this year? I'm a cup half full type of guy. You know, you can look at Ohio State's loss last night and be all depressed. I look at it and I say, man, next year's going to be a good year. Right? We, there's different ways that we can look at what God's doing. And just like Donna Fairclaw's mom who passed away, that was just heartbreaking for me. We, I was on the missions trip with her and just a wonderful, wonderful, godly woman. It was very close with her mother and that she can look at that situation and see the good gift that God gave, that her mom is now in heaven with her dad, that she's going to be reunited with them one day, the hope that she has in that. How are we looking at things? How are we looking at what God has done in our lives? You know, this is really important. There's nothing more offensive to the cross of Christ than man trying to say, I don't need it. And that's what this lawyer was doing. I mean, you come to Jesus, testing him, then trying to self-justify. There is nothing more offensive to God than saying, oh, you know what? Yeah, I know you since you're only son, everything like that, but yeah, I don't need that. I'm a pretty good person, <laughs> you know. Now, my neighbor, you know, now I know he needs it, you know, big time. Yeah, I've never seen him in church ever, <laughs> you know. But me, nah. Can you imagine? You know my how offensive that is to God. Jesus came and died for us because we are helpless, broken, and beaten men and women who are half dead or fully dead on the side of the road had it not been for the grace of God in Jesus Christ for you and me. That brings us to the second person I want to look at in this story, and it's the helpless, broken, and beaten man. This man dying on the side of the road, the reality of his situation 
is actually the reality of our situation without Christ or before Christ. I told you at the beginning, God never commands us to do something without giving us the power to do it. Here's where we find the power to love our neighbor as ourselves, right? With God's command. We were or are the helpless, broken, beaten man. You may be out there right now, you're saying, Matt, <laughs> Matt, I'm doing just fine, man. I've got a nice house, two and a half kids, a cat and a dog. Nobody's taking anything from me. I'm doing just fine. I, I want you to know this. Without Christ, your eternity is not just fine. I've heard somebody say this before. He said, the road to hell is paved in fool's gold and false blessings. The road to hell is paved in fool's gold and false blessings. We don't need God because we have life insurance, we have car insurance, health insurance, sort of. Jobs are available most of the time. We have unemployment, social security. We would need God, you know, if our daily needs weren't taken care of, right? We can get to that point where we're relying on these things that are, you know, actually really nice for us to have. We can forget that there is a lot more to this life than those assurances. That there's an eternal assurance that God is offering. You know, one of the greatest traps Satan has set is an easy life on earth. Or a good life lived in our own strength. And the belief that we don't need God. That's one, of the, that's one of the scariest things, I think, for us in America, is easy life. You know, you go on a missions trip to a third world country, and you see people suffering, and you see people starving to death, and, and they, they have nothing to eat, they have no home, they have a, a mud hut with maybe some grass on top of it, and that's kind of their home. And you see people in real desperate need. They don't know how they're going to eat tomorrow. And you're like, wow, you see that kind of desperation. And you hear them talk about their relationship with Jesus and how good God is and how he provides for them every day miraculously, even though they have no idea where their food's going to come from. We don't, I mean, we don't have those kinds of problems. I mean, I don't know about you, but when my internet goes down, I think the world's about to end. You know, it's like spectrum's down. Is it the apocalypse, you know? What's happening? First, we, we call them first world problems. This is something I think we really need to take a look at. Where am I at with these things? God, am I, am I truly relying on you? That, I mean, ask yourself this question right now. God, am I truly relying on you? Or am I relying on my savings account? Or am I relying on my life insurance? Or am I relying on the stock market? Where do, where do I find my peace? You know, when, when life is really super stressful, do I get, do I get online and, and check the bank account? When things are really going wrong and I'm really struggling with something, where do I go to find that hope and that peace? Is it, is it here? 
Is it in God's word? Is it in God's sovereignty like we talked about? Earlier? Is it God's goodness? Do I go to worship? Do I, do I go to prayer? Do I go to him? What about this? When I'm really struggling and suffering and going through something, what's the first thing I think about? Is it prayer? Do I run to Christ on my knees? Say, God, I just need more of you right now. It's hard, isn't it? I think it's really difficult for us, but I think it's one of Satan's greatest traps is to live out this life, an easy life, trusting in the things that we have, which are good things. Don't get me wrong. Savings accounts and retirement accounts, all these things are good things. But, but looking to those things as, as God things, as ultimate support and ultimate peace, and looking at them as those types of things is horribly, horribly wrong. I think God's given us those things, and it's gracious, and it's merciful. Thank God for the, that kind of provision. But don't look at the gift as the gift giver. Look to the gift giver and thank him for those gifts and the graces that he's given. And know this. The stock market could crash at any moment. It could all be gone instantly. Instantly. This world that we live in, nothing, there is nothing that is guaranteed except this. God's love for you. God's power. God's strength. And he wants to know you. And he wants you to know him. This Christianity is so much more than, than a list of do's and don'ts or attending church on Sunday mornings. Now, those are... Those are good things. God's given us his law to protect us and grow us. And he's called us to meet together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Those are all good things. But there's something so much more and so much better than that. And it's knowing your creator. He wants you to know him. He wants you to trust him. What we learn from this lawyer and what Jesus is trying to point out is that we are blind to the desperation of our own circumstances. That it takes a fresh revelation, a new revelation of our own brokenness to truly appreciate the grace given to me, to you, by God through the person of Jesus Christ. Now, this is really scary and good news. It's scary because we have to trust God. <laughs> that shouldn't be scary. But just in our humanness, I think that's a natural reaction. But it's good because God is faithful. He's not distant. He's not away up there. He is right here. He is with you. In fact, if you've given your life to Christ, God the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. So what he wants to do is open your eyes to who he is and who we are. And as we trust in him and as we look to him, as we gather together as a church and, and sing these songs that we sang this morning, so moving, so powerful, the truths about who he is. And then, then to sing to him that we love him and are so thankful for what he's done for us. God wants to use, these are music is great, it's wonderful, but it's just a tool that, that he's given us so that we can use it to, to give our praises and, and thoughts and everything to him. And in so doing, sing the truths out of his word about him and that he would actually show up and reveal himself to us in more powerful and deeper ways. God is faithful and God will do it. 
Maybe you're sitting out there, you're just going, man, I hear you. <laughs> I just don't get it. You know, I, I have all these different thoughts. I, you know, I've, I've been to school. I, you know, I, I heard how the world really was created evolution, and I've heard all these other things, and I just really struggle with that. Or maybe you're, you're out there, you're hearing all this, you're like, yeah, I believe in God. He's creator. He's done all these things. I've given my life to him. And you know what? When I first met Jesus, I was on fire. I was excited about who he was. And, and man, but just over the years, it's, it's gotten hard. It's, it's been more difficult. There's been some things that happen I don't understand. Uh, I've just struggled in my relationship with him. It doesn't matter where you are, what you've gone through, all of these things this is true. God will reveal himself to you right now. He is not some far-off deity. He is active in your life right now. He's not some made-up fairy tale. He is at the door knocking. Will you open the door? I talk to people you know, as we work through our faith. It's just a wonderful, humbling thing that God allows us to do as Christians. We talk to people and as they're struggling with their faith. And I would, here's, here's a challenge, I think. Take a step towards God. I think it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 80 years or if you just became a Christian three weeks ago. The challenge, I think... My challenge for you today is this. Take a step towards the Lord. Take a step out of your comfort zone. If you're not using the gifts that God's given you for his kingdom and for him, use those gifts for him. Step out of your comfort zone. Maybe you come to church on Sunday mornings and you hear these songs and they're not so familiar, but they're getting familiar as you've come more. Sing these songs to the Lord. Matt, Matt, you've never heard me sing. You don't want me to sing, man. That'd be really bad. Everybody would run out of the auditorium. That's okay. The Bible says to make a joyful noise. So he kind of covers all of us, right? Make a joyful noise. Step out of your comfort zone to the Lord, trusting that God will do what he says he will do, that he will open your eyes to who he is. And in so doing, open our eyes to see who we really are as well. And it changes us and it grows us. All right, let's go on to the third point here. Or the third, the third, it's actually the third and fourth person, the priest and the Levite. We'll look at both these guys at the same time. Jesus continues to drive his point home with the first two passers-by, the priest and the Levite. These would have been two people, this lawyer who was, you know, in his own right, worldly good person, he would have actually looked up to and respected these guys. Priests were of the bloodline of Aaron, and Levites were their assistants in the temple work. A very high calling for each of these guys. But they just passed by, leaving this fellow man for dead. Now, I can imagine what was going through this lawyer's head as Jesus is telling this story, Right? As he's telling this story, and Jesus mentions the priest and Levite, oh, I mean, I, you know, this lawyer's thinking, oh, sure, I'm thinking these guys are going to, these respectable men will do something to help this poor soul. But no, not even the Jewish spiritual leaders stopped to help this man. 
Now, here's something important about this story, I think. I think Jesus was pointing to the new covenant. And here's how he was doing it. The new promise, sorry. The, the new covenant that Jesus created with us was a new promise that he gave. So this new promise, he was saying, here's what I think he's saying to us. Don't let your religion stop you from doing something your relationship compels you to do. Here's what I mean. So these Jewish leaders, there was a religious peace that they couldn't, they couldn't touch this guy. They couldn't come in contact with a Samaritan or they would have been unclean and they would have to go to the temple and be cleansed. Now, think about it. They worked in the temple. This would not have been hard for them to do. But they didn't help this man because of their religion. Here's what Jesus is trying to drive home a point here for us today. Don't let your religion stop you from doing something your relationship compels you to do. Don't, don't look, don't look at Christianity as this list of do's and don'ts, this being a good person and having all your ducks in a row and, and doing and achieving all of these things that, that are in here. These are all really, really good things. But if we do all of these really good things apart from relationship with Christ, it's all self-righteous deism. That means that I am doing these good things because I am a good person, because I don't need God, because I in my own strength am actually okay, and therefore I am God. That's what religion leads us to. Relationship with Christ leads us to humility, self-sacrificing, others-centered, God-centered life that is, that, is, that is following all the things that God calls us to do, not because it's a list of things to do and not do, but because I love Jesus. Just like the song says, this, we sang this morning, it is you, our hearts adore God. So how can I not go to my neighbor and help them out and, and, and tell them that Jesus loves them because Jesus loves me? Is your relationship with God so powerful and passionate that it's compelling you to these good things? The, the simple message of this story is go and do what the Good Samaritan did. We should be good people. But it's not out of patting myself on the back and thinking that I'm a good person in my own strength. It's recognizing the active work of God, the Holy Spirit, in my life. And God has saved me. Therefore, I'm going to help someone. And in so doing, model and share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. Number four, the last, last fill in your notes is this. The last person we're going to look at is the good Samaritan. Now, obviously, Jesus calls us to be good Samaritans, to those hurting around us. But like I was saying, we have to do this in view of the cross. Jesus is only asking us to do for others what he was willing to do for me and you. Here's another really cool thing about this parable. This helpless, broken man lying naked on the side of the road, left for dead, is a picture of us before Christ. And this good Samaritan, we can kind of get a picture of, 
of Jesus reaching out to us in our brokenness and in our loss. Now, if we look into the story deeper, we find out that as the good Samaritan drops him off at the end, he says he'll be back to pay for any debt incurred. Now, this is truly significant in a couple ways. Back in those days, if you were helped by someone in that way and could not pay your expenses afterward, you would then be considered a slave to the one who helped you. So the good Samaritan paid the debt that would have left this man in slavery. Does that sound familiar? I mean, so he goes to this inn. I mean, this guy, this he would have been a slave to the innkeeper. But this good Samaritan that this guy never knew, didn't know him, pays the debt, pulling him out of slavery. What a picture. Because Jesus Christ, on the cross for you and me, he paid our debt. And before we know him, we're slaves to sin destined to die, separated from our Creator. But because of the cross of Christ, because of the sacrifice that He made, our debt was paid. That's why. That's why we're mission view. That's why we do the mission that Christ has set before us. Because I was broken, I was a sinner, destined for hell, I was an evil, evil man. But in my brokenness and in my sin, Jesus still went to the cross for me. That's why. That's why we do the mission. Even, even when it gets messy, even when it gets hard. And that's what we're going to be talking about over the next four or five weeks as we look into Jonah and and you, you think about that story I was talking about earlier that, that God caused Jonah to go to these people that he just hated and despised. What does it look like, man, when God calls us to, to Guatemala or he calls us to downtown Akron or downtown Canton? What's it look like, right? To that homeless guy who stops you on the, the side of the road, says, hey, man, can I have some money? Do you pray for him? Mission does get messy. Are we willing to go into the mess like Jesus came into our mess? The Good Samaritan was willing. Jonah, not so much. I think we'll learn a lot as we go through his story as well. But the, the point of the story is this. The motivation behind what we do is the cross of Jesus Christ. And the cross of Jesus Christ is a personal story for you and me. Jesus died for Matt Haup. And he died for you specifically as well. That's what motivates, motivates us to mission and to do what God's called us to do. So as I hope, man, as we uh, start our new sermon series, Mission Gets Messy, through a study through Jonah, that, man, God just motivates us, propels us into um, 2020 with mission-mindedness, mission Right? We have 200,000 people in Stark County that have no re religious affiliation whatsoever. That's the 200,000 people that God's calling us to. We have missionaries all over the world that we are going and, and participating with and sharing the gospel with them as well. We have a big mission ahead of us. 
So I'm excited about getting that started in 2020. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And God, just as this, this good Samaritan who was willing to, to take time away from where he was going, what he was doing, the compassion that he showed to this man who was, who was beaten and left for dead. God, I pray that you would give us a heart that is on mission for you. God, that we would be willing to, to sacrifice, that we would be willing to give, that we would be willing to serve, that we would make those steps, Father. Not so that we could pat ourselves on the back and, and post it on Facebook for everyone to look at our good deeds, but we would do it because of what you've done for us. God, give us a new perspective of the cross. Reveal deeper understanding to us by your grace. Have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen.